Could we just thank God once again for the strength he has given us. Through it all, he is faithful. He is faithful. He is faithful. Through it all, he is the one who is keeping us together. Through it all, we have him to hold on to. The true and the faithful witness. The beginning and the end. The Alpha and the Omega. The one who died and rose again. The one in whose hands the keys are. We thank you, Lord. We thank you. We do not know, Lord, if we hadn't known you and you hadn't touched our lives, what we would have been doing at a time like this. We just thank you. We just thank you. We just thank you. We just thank you. Speak to us now, Lord. Teach us, Father. Speak to us. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 See that the door is locked. Okay. So, the week after Resurrection Sunday, it's uh, Monday evening, and uh, we continue our teaching, and we believe we are all learning. Okay, we are all, I hope, learning to be still, learning to wait on the Lord, and yet not delaying when the Lord says something. Okay, today... Uh, as we look into the word, I also want to look at a concept. And uh, we're teaching the word, but to look at the word through that concept. So that we'll look at how we hear, how we study, how we read scripture. And primarily life. And sometimes it can make a difference. Not sometimes, actually, always between life and death. See, when I was a classroom teacher, one of the exercises I used to do with my children is uh, call two or three, one by one, and tell them to the open window, look out for a 30 seconds, and then come back and sit down, each one. Then I used to ask each one, what did you see? And this is what God asked Jeremiah to, what did you see? And uh, the thing is that what each one said was often not the same. What they saw was different. They looked out of the same window, but they saw differently. Because that's the way God has has what he called framed our mind. Okay, We don't see the same way. Unless we have the same mind. Bible says when you are saved, positionally we have the mind of Christ Jesus. In, in literary theory, we call it foregrounding and backgrounding. Okay? And sometimes we are focused on the foreground and we miss out the background. Sometimes without realizing the background is as important, sometimes more important than the foreground. 
let us imagine i'll give you an illustration let's imagine this is not live or anything but you know i'm sitting here and i'm wearing shorts and a t-shirt and i'm sitting here and chopping vegetables and then suddenly sammy by mistake presses the thing and i am live i don't even realize i am live on youtube channel okay and i'm sitting here and cutting vegetables somebody logs in and sees okay he sees and he's offended now there's somebody sitting there and cutting vegetables why should he be offended because he looks at the background and he sees a pulpit the background changes the entire activity what looks like a simple innocent activity is offensive because the background demands something else okay the background changes everything so we always have to remember sometimes the background is bigger than what we actually see what we call the foregrounding is more important that's why we said though we sit here though we are listening there are three realms overlapping there is this earth the third realm the physical material there is the demonic realm that is overlapping and then there is god's realm that is overlapping and ultimately that is the background which is more important than the foreground and if we are not aware of that then we will be caught in the snare of this and this is the snare of this okay the foreground right now for the whole world is something called corona virus but the background for us is christ jesus we take our eyes of christ jesus the virus will swallow us all the fears connected with the virus this material world will overwhelm us that is why this endurance is needed why do we need endurance because we are in the physical living in the physical and all these things are putting so much, i mean like i said after this is gone something else will come and it'll only get worse and worse and worse and not only will the situations get worse people will get worse because that's what paul tells evil men imposters will grow and seducers imposters no will grow worse and worse and worse the climate outside will get worse the people will get worse and god says you have to endure you have to endure and the only way you can endure is being aware of that god is in control and this is the constant narrative in the bible if you miss that we miss our teaching we would have shut ourselves by situations for 30 days and come out because we missed out what god was trying to trying to tell us because in the secular world if you look at the tv i mean i don't we don't have tvs none of us have tvs but we watch news on internet or newspaper everybody keeps saying the same thing once the lockdown is over the world will never be the same again okay many ways true but the other side is also true after the lockdown is over will we be the same spiritually ever again that is the point 
That's the, the world will never be saved again. That's irrelevant. Irrelevant. Because it is already said, when Adam's sin is already set in corruption, corruption has set in. We can slow down corruption, but we cannot stop corruption. Ultimately, it's destined to death. But we are not destined to death. We are not destined to corruption. We are destined to glory. So outside when it is perishing and going down, down, scripture is asking, are we being transformed from glory to glory? If that is not happening, then this whole exercise is a waste. Personally, a lot of people, others may get blessed, but individually we look at it, the whole exercise becomes waste. So we always never forget the background, the big picture as I call it. The big picture is God is in absolute control. Absolute control. He's in absolute control of everything. And we, especially as God's children, should be aware of it. That he's in absolute control to the point where he says, that's one of the most interesting details only God can say. Because nobody other than God has ever said that. That every hair on your head is numbered. Now, who numbers hair? No. It's a impossible, I mean, crazy task actually to do because every day when we get up, we realize hair is gone. Every time we comb our hair, hair is gone. Every time we shower, hair is gone. And here is somebody who is so absolutely in touch with the mind. So that gives us confidence. But remember, if we take the big picture out, then even the most innocuous, innocent activity can become offensive. Most innocent activity can be offensive because we forgot the big picture, the background. Let's look at an example. I want to look at an example first. You turn with me to Genesis chapter 17 and verse 1. When Abraham was 90 years old, and I, and nine, 99, 90 and 9 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. Okay? That is the sentence. Did you see the sentence? It's a very simple sentence. Let us change, rewrite the sentence. I'm going to rewrite the sentence like this. When Abraham was 99, he decided to walk and be blameless. Now what happens? Because what did I take out? I took out the Lord, I took out Almighty God, and I took out before me. Once I have taken all the mention of God in that entire sentence, then the whole meaning will just... The, everything changes over there when you take God out of the picture. I'm 99, I've decided, okay, now it's the time I need to walk and be blameless. Walk and be blameless for what? You take God out of the picture, suddenly everything changes. The whole Bible, the whole life changes. The the problem is often we live our lives, live our day-to-day lives, as if God is not in the picture. And there is no enemy also. After our souls, day to day. That's why I'm saying realm two, realm three. Our normal day to day, how we are, we are not even aware two and three is there, though it is there, always enveloping realm one. 
So the question is, did God cause the virus? No. It's man's sin. Did God allow the virus? Yes. Did the enemy cause the virus? Yes. He loves these things. Okay. So the question is, what can we, what can bring me and you out of the crisis? Any crisis? Answer God. So what is every crisis? Just the test of my faith in God. So every crisis is either a crisis of faith or a victory of faith. Okay? Please understand that. So yesterday we looked at, everybody talks about power of resurrection, resurrection, happy resurrection. No? Resurrection, 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 resurrection. But what is resurrection all about? How does it personally apply me to me? How does resurrection change my lives personally, our lives personally? How does it impact our day-to-day lives? And that is what we looked at yesterday. And the teachings we have in the morning. Why are we so, why do we have to get into such a detail? The reason is the big picture. Okay. The shadow and the substance. This is the shadow. Substance is that. So if you look at the shadow in Joshua chapter 3, verses 3 and 4, this is what they are told, a shadow. They commanded the people, now they are going to cross the river, the battle is going to start. The overcoming is going to start. They commanded the people saying, when you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the priest, the Levites, bearing it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. Go after it. Okay, Go behind it. Follow it. Yet there shall be a space between you and it about 2,000 cubits by measure. Do not come near it that you may know the way by which you must go, for you have not passed this way before. So they are told one very simple thing. You don't know where you are going. But let the ark go first and keep your eyes on the ark. That is what they are told. Now if you look at Hebrews 12 and verse 2, the same story. We may have an entire cloud of witnesses before us, but the problem is we don't know where we are going. So, keep your eyes fixed on Christ Jesus, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Okay, You cannot bank on any one of those witnesses because we don't know where they are. <laughs> and they cannot communicate to us. <laughs> they cannot tell us anything. There is only one who has gone and we know for sure who is risen from the dead. And he is the one who started me on this journey. Okay, he's the one. So scripture says, keep your eyes fixed on him. That's a big picture. So that was the shadow. This, so yesterday we looked at the ark, and the ark is Jesus Christ. They were told to keep their eyes on Christ Jesus. So in the promised land, if you look at Joshua 3, verse 9 and 10, when they are going, they are told very carefully what their focus should be. Joshua said to the children of Israel, come here. Come here. Hear the words of the Lord your God. Okay, not don't come here and listen to me. No, listen to what God is telling through me. Let your focus be on the big picture. What is it? And Joshua said, "By this you shall know that the living God is among you; that He will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, and the Amorites and the Jebusites. And the ark is going before you. So one thing they told him was that look to the front, don't look back." Don't look back. Okay? 22 days of coronavirus is already over. Don't look back. Look to the front. Look to the friends, the, the force, the enemy, the 
battles we have ahead. Don't get crippled by your past or don't get excited by your past victories either. Learn from your mistakes, but our focus is always to the front, not to the back. Keep your eyes on the arc. Keep your mind on the things that are in front of us. So in the same token, in the new covenant, in Colossians chapter 3, we are told the same things. Keep your mind where if you are raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand. Set your mind on things above, not on the things on the earth. What are the things above we've been called to overcome? We have been destined to reign with us. So keep your mind on those things and see what is happening now. Don't get bogged down by coronavirus. Get excited by Christ Jesus. Don't let all the... Those are all negative news. And those news is facts. Those are all facts. These are all people who spend their life like Pastor Vijay and all we all did. 25 years, 30 years in research and economics and all predicting with all kind of models and all. But there is only one who exists above these models. These models are facts. What Philip is saying is true. What Andrew is saying true. Both of them are speaking the facts. Six months wages won't be enough to give them one mouthful. That's a crowd. And five loaves and two fish. What can we do with that? Both models are right. But there is somebody who exists above that model. He says, give it to me. Give it to me. So that's how we have to look. Keep your eyes on things above. Keep your eyes fixed on him. And keep your mind on things above. Otherwise, when this is over and when we step out, when we step out, we will get bogged down by the problem. So be very, very, very careful. Okay. So we also saw yesterday about when the ark was made, it was to be made with acacia wood and completely inside and outside overlaid with gold. Why? Because it's representing Jesus. And what is the truth about Jesus? Jesus is the son of God who became the son of man. Okay. So he is the wood covered with gold. But we are the sons of men who to, who's trying, he's making us sons of God. See, other way around. So what is the illustration about us? We are earthen vessels with treasure inside. He was a wooden box with gold outside. <laughs> we are not the same. We are not the same. We are, like, if we were a box, it would be ulta. We will be a golden box covered with wood. That's an illustration given in the book of Corinthians. What are we? Earthen vessels, absolutely fragile, vulnerable earthen vessels, but the treasure is inside. So we have to also understand who he is and what we are. Yeah, that's Second Corinthians 4, 7. For those who are new, you want the reference. The Bible says, okay, yeah, we have this treasure in earthen vessels, okay, and the, that the excellency of power may be of God and not. So never forget the picture. This is what I am. I am an earthen vessel. And this is what he is. He is the treasure. And the excellency of power is his and not mine. Okay, so the rest is all talking about what we will go through. Okay, so Paul will say, do not forget the big picture. If you forget the big picture, you will get bogged down by what is happening. And if you forget the big picture, you will lose interest in all the teachings. Because all the teachings are connected with the big picture, not with the small picture, the foreground. 
Okay, in that same chapter, chapter 4, verse 16 to 18, this is what he says. Keep your eyes on the big picture. Okay, what does he say? Therefore, we do not lose heart. Why don't we lose heart? Because we are looking at the big picture. Even though our outward man is perishing, coronavirus is killing people left, right, center, economy is growing, nations are like in panic, darkness, everything. Yet, we need to ask, in the midst of these 22 days, has the inward man been renewed? Otherwise, we perish outside and inside. The virus did not only its work outside, it also did its work inside. Therefore, okay, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So even the destruction of the coronavirus is temporary. It is temporary. What is eternal is what Christ is doing in our lives and in us. And we always have to keep coming back to that. Otherwise, what will happen? Because how many people can sustain four hours teaching every day for 30 days? How many people can? Because we don't look at the big picture, then we will become like Jesus' disciples, walking with him, walking with him, walking with him, seeing all the miracles, receiving all the teachings, but their eyes are still on the temporal. And the only question is, we love the teaching about the kingdom, but they are reading it absolutely wrong. When will the kingdom come? When will the kingdom come? They took an entire teaching and turned it into the temporal. And it was, that's why they all forsook and they fled. Okay? So we looked at it, right? Joseph stripped, sold, bought, put to work, then falsely accused. And I can be absolutely sure when he was accused like that, he was again stripped, beaten. You know how it is, right? Beaten black and blue. And all the slaves who were under him got a chance also to beat him up. Okay, It's all not written in the Bible. But you can know this is exactly what happens. Beaten up, then chained and thrown into prison. That is the foreground. What is the background that will sustain him? Two dreams. Two dreams. And that is the word of God for him. Two dreams absolutely strong imprinted into his soul two dreams of which has given that you are destined to reign stay upright don't lose heart that two dreams as time goes by unless we like paul says keep on awakening it fanning it back to plants the dreams will start fading and then what we are going through becomes our reality and then slowly we merge into a reality and the dreams are forgotten. How long? That is why this entire narrative in the Bible, endure, 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 endure. God is faithful, God is faithful, endure, endure. And endurance is one of the most, I have to repeat it again and again, most important characteristics of the overcomer. Can you endure? Endure. And yet change. Change how? Inwardly. It's not that Joseph came to uh, Egypt at the age of 17 and he hung in there, hung in there. And when he finally came out at 30, he was exactly what he was at 17. No, that won't do. That won't do. That won't do. Then you won't get out at 30. You won't get out at 30. 
When you get out of 30, you should have accomplished what God wanted you to be at 30. If you are destined to rule at 30, if it is not there, it will not stop at 30. You determine the length of your change, not God. You determine. Because God has an agenda. He said, I have put a benchmark for overcomers. So we have to decide how we are going to grow up to it. He's not going to lower it. He did not lower it is for his son, and he will not lower it for anybody. The benchmark has been set by him. So please remember, he's got his word. That is his destiny. And in the prison, it will get even more worse. Life has become harsh. It's dungeon. It is chains. Meaning from the Potiphar's palace to the prison, the foreground has changed, even has become even more worse. But destiny has not changed. Destiny has not changed. The background never changes. That's why God says, I do not change. God is not a man who he, that he should lie. And he never changes. Our reality keeps on changing, but this never keeps changing. And that is why we have to keep our eyes focused on this. If we keep our focus on that, we will go down. We will go down. Okay. So God is still with him. You see this narrative about Joseph, this entire record of Joseph of 13 chapters in the Bible, only two times it is said God was with him. It was in Potiphar as a slave and as a prisoner because he's holding on to that background. He's holding on. So what for us, what we don't realize for us, we are looking at his life of those 13 years and says, poor fellow, that is our reality. But his reality is God is in the front. Therefore, it is written, God is with him. God is with him. God is with him. He is experiencing God more as a slave and as a prisoner than as a father's favorite son or Pharaoh's right hand. He's experiencing him because in that crisis, he put God in the front. And that is what we have to learn from these lives. These lives. Okay. So please remember that is also our, our promise because Joseph in those 13 years, there are two things about Jesus. Joseph, one, he overcame the power of sin and he experienced the presence of God. And that are the first two promises in the new covenant. You shall name him Yeshua because he will deliver you from the power of sin. You shall call him Emmanuel. He will be God with us. The first two promises and overcome experiences are these two promises and you see it in Joseph's life. It's fulfilling scripture. Though he's far, far ahead of Jesus coming. So you take any passage from the Bible and you see what happens if you take God out of it. And you take any passage in the Bible and you read it keeping God in the picture. And you will see what happens. Why I am saying is that because we are having these teachings continuously. But please don't think this is not a tuition class. How to prosper in the world. How to come out of coronavirus. It's none of these teachings. The teaching is how to read life. And the background, the big picture is always God. Okay? So, we looked at King Saul two nights back, how King Saul was rejected. Tonight we will go into the young man called David. 
Okay, we'll not look at David in detail because David has been worked and overworked for years. Okay, yet connected with tonight, let's look at David. Now we know Saul has been rejected from being king over Israel. Yet he will stay in the throne for a long time. While God is raising another king to take his place. Now you need to realize another king is being raised. Plus flesh is seated on the throne. All over the world it is flesh that is ruling. But hidden God is raising up his kings. And he will not give them the authority now. There is a day set when they will receive the authority. But flesh is kept there deliberately by God. So that kings can be made who are hidden. And our problem is, we want to be king now. God says, then that is flesh. We are no different than Saul. Okay? So please remember, if you go with me to um, uh, Revelation chapter 1, 4 to 6, as we go into, okay? 4, Revelation 1, verse 4. John to the seven churches which are in Asia. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne. What is he saying? And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us. He's the ruler of the kings of earth. Okay? And washed us from our sins in his own blood. So first, first these two verses we read, establishes who Jesus is. He's the ruler of the kings and establishes who we are. We are washed by his blood, saved people. And then verse 6 says, what does it say? And has made us. It does not say it will make us. That's not say. So every saint who's been washed by the blood of Jesus is positionally, what does he made us? Kings and priests. Two things are mentioned. Kings and priests. This is the service in God's kingdom. What do priests do? Priests make intercession. They pray. They make intercession. What do kings do? Kings rule. So he says, I have made you all kings and priests. Meaning, your prayer life and your word life will define whether you will rule one day or not. Priests rule by prayer and kings rule by word proclamation. They don't do anything. They just speak. Priests, what they do? They also do do anything. They basically make intercession in prayer. He says these two things. That's what the church in the book of Acts learned the secret from Jesus Christ. They were looking at this man. He's walking around. He's reigning. Yet he's like a simple man, simple rabbi, as ordinary like anybody. People won't even give him a second look. But if you look at his personal life, you look at any situation he is caught in, he's reigning in that situation. Whether it is lack, whether it is sickness, whether it is hostility, whether it is a king's heart, he's going through it all and they realize he was reigning by prayer and by word. So his secret prayer life is revealed in the Bible, how he used to pray. And his word life is also revealed that he speaks exactly as God has spoken to him. These are the two things. And all the reigning kings one day would have come through that process. When Saul was anointed, he also was given that chance. But the problem is that he had neither a prayer life nor a word life. What he had was a flesh life. Okay, get this picture. These two things will define. That's why I always tell, I, you remember I always used to say, 
my weakness in my life was primarily prayer life. So God gave me a wife who will pray me out of this universe. Okay, so that way, it, it works out very well for me that in my weakness, I am covered. I am covered. So all of you who are married and not married, find a praying wife. Okay, praying wife. That's the most important thing you need in life. That especially if your, if your, if your prayer life is weak. Okay, on the other hand, if your prayer life is very strong and you're weak in word, find a wife who knows her word very well. <laughs> okay, but what I'm saying is that's why the God calls the man and the woman, uh, has one. Has one. And this is very, very important in our lives. We need this word and prayer life to overcome. And Peter will go all the way in First Peter chapter 3 and says, you are, you are co-heirs of salvation. By the grace of God. Okay, the only two people are called as co-heads. One is the whole church with Christ, and then the husband and wife, the believing couple. Okay, so always look at that picture and say, Lord, Lord, all the young ones who are seeing, the young unmarried ones who are seeing, please remember, don't foreground your marriage needs according to the world. Look at the background and say, Lord, this is what I want in my marriage. This is what I want in my marriage. I realize I am destined to reign. If I am destined to reign, then I need to look at spiritual things. You, you say, I am called to be a king and a priest. And the priest prays, the king proclaims. One has the word, the other has the intercession. And Jesus is both. We are not. We have our weaknesses. So when you look at these things, remember this is what we are looking at. Okay? So Saul is disqualified spiritually. In realm 3, he's not disqualified in realm 1. Sorry, realm 3, uh, realm 1. In the earthly realm, he's still king. He's still king. Nobody even really knows what has happened. Hardly anybody knows. Samuel knows. Nobody knows. There's no news about anything at all. Nobody has any clue that he has been disqualified. He knows. Samuel knows. God knows. The devil knows. Realm 1, nobody has any clue what has happened. Because this is a private conversation that took between the prophet and the king. Nobody has any clue he's been disqualified. Okay, so please remember, all the presidents and the prime ministers and the kings and queens who are ruling have no clue they have been disqualified. Absolutely. They are sitting with their bodyguards and this thing and secret service and all. God says, you sit there. I'm using you to train my people. I have a set of people whom nobody knows. Absolutely nobody knows. That is why Romans 8 and verse 19 says, See, realm 2 and realm 3 is different. The realm 2, realm 3, what does Bible say? For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for what? Not the revealing of kings and queens and presidents and prime ministers. They are not waiting for the next election results. They are waiting for this. For the sons of God to be revealed because they know hidden in this are the real rulers of the universe arising one day. They are the ones who will rule all of creation on God's behalf. So all of creation is waiting for that day. Even the angels are waiting because they know that we will rule over the angels. If we overcome us, even the angels will be subject to us. Everybody is waiting for that. So you need to realize when God picked a boy, nobody had any idea. Nobody had any idea. And Saul is still king. But Saul will be used to frame David. Flesh will be used to teach the spirit. 
It's very strange way of doing things, right? We want in our battle, in our battle, it's very interesting, in our battle, the spirit is being trained to subject flesh. But in our battle outside, flesh will be used to subject the spirit to keep us. That is how it happens because all over us are flesh. Okay, all over in the world it is flesh. So he's being prepared. So sons and daughters of God are being prepared and earth has no clue. All of creation has no clue and the world has no idea. So if you turn to First Samuel chapter 16 and verse 1. Okay, God speaks to you. Supposedly he should have been a man of spirit by now. Fully. How long will you mourn for Saul? Why are you spirit mourning over flesh? That's how you have to read it. The Lord said to Samuel. Okay, so that's where God comes into the picture, then everything changes. If God is not in the picture, somebody comes and asks you, why are you mourning for Saul? The answer question and the answer doesn't have any meaning. But when God asks the question, everything changes. Why are you mourning for Saul? I have rejected him from reigning over Israel. Meaning, he's telling him something. Boss, listen here. He's telling him. You know, you took that little oil and put on his head, right? But you only anointed. I am the one who is proclaiming as king. You only did a job. You did not make him king. I made him king. So if I rejected him as king, why are you upset about it? Why are you upset about it? No. Sometimes prophets also have to be given a tough lesson. You are only doing my job. That doesn't mean you are me. Why are you grieving? Fill your horn with oil and go. Okay? Fill your horn with oil and very clear instructions. Not flask, not your oil, not your bottle. Fill the horn with oil and go. I'm sending you to Bethlehem. I'm sending you to Jesse's house. For I have provided myself. Okay. This is the difference. Saul was provided as a king for Israel. David was provided as a king for God. That is the desire of the flesh. This is the desire of the spirit. I have provided. So all the kings and queens that are being provided are being provided for God. Understand that. So the world will reject you. Don't get disappointed. If the world accepts you, then you are not being provided for God. You are not being provided for God. If the world accepts you, then you are not being provided. I have provided myself a king among his sons. That is how we have to look. That is why we shouldn't be too successful and all the world saying how great thou art. Then we have to be trembled. Lord, what is happening over here? Remember Jesus saying, and he put that even into the smallest principle. He says, get this principle of my realm very clearly. He says, when you give, do it secretly. When you pray, do it secretly. When you fast, do it secretly. Because he says, if you give publicly, you already received your reward. Flesh has already rewarded flesh. If you fast publicly, you have already been rewarded. So you don't have to, you, you don't have to expect anything because all you did was for them and they have rewarded you in return. Okay. So God says, be very, very careful. There is that these two realms working side by side all the time. Fill your horn with oil. The horn represents, we know, power and authority. And that is what Jesus 
wants to give his children. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 24. 1 Corinthians 1, 24. But to those who are called, both Jews and Christ, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. So God is saying, my dear children, please don't misunderstand that oil for power. The power is a person. It is Christ. It is Christ. The power of God. It is Christ. The wisdom of God. Okay. So, David is going to get anointed. And I call it the 60-fold anointing. It is the anointing of the suffering realm. Okay. Suffering realm. 100-fold is the reigning realm. 60-fold is a suffering realm. Okay, it's an anointing given to those who have come through the 30 so that they can overcome. The suffering is in the flesh. He who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So all the suffering is in the flesh. The despised, hated, chased, slandered, beaten, whatever you go through, it is all in the suffering realm. Okay, and there is an anointing given for that. Every one of them went through that. Okay, for what? So that we can mature and rule one day. So all these people who preach there is no suffering. It is name it, claim it, have it. They don't even realize they are taking their congregation down to be lowest case servants in the kingdom of God if they make it. If they make it. Because you are very close to the world to losing your salvation. Okay, they are taking them backwards and not forwards. Okay. So please remember, Joseph will go through this, David will go through this, Jesus will go through it. And in, interestingly, all these three people, Joseph, David and Jesus, steps out at the age of 30. Okay, 30. So my thing is that till the age of 30, Jesus went through a lot of suffering where he was ready to be brought out where he could show how to reign in righteousness. What he went in his town and with his family and all, we have no clue, but he was probably went through a lot of stuff. Okay, but he didn't react at all. So the Bible is very clear. If you don't suffer, we will not reign. Okay. So let's go back to David. Our problem is, once we have lived under the flesh for a long time, First Samuel chapter 16, verse 6. So when he, they came and he looked at Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. The problem is this. Once we have lived under flesh for a long time, if we haven't daily, constantly kept ourselves separate, we also will start looking through the eyes of the flesh. That's one of the reasons we told all the young parents, it's your call, but our advice, counsel is don't have TV in your house. TV will automatically want you to watch. If you have internet, be very careful what you watch and what you allow your children to watch. Because the more you see, your vision also will become fleshly. So they have lived under Saul for all these years. Even the prophet is starting to see through soulish eyes. Not S-O-U, but S-A-U, L-I-S. So he's looking. And when he's looking at... That's a guy who is tall and big and he reminds him of Saul. 
Okay, he reminds him of Saul. And God looks at him and says, hey, look at what he says. Do not look at his appearance or his physical stature. That is exactly what Saul had. Don't look at him. I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but Lord looks at the heart. Meaning God says, I've seen something in his heart. And I've refused him. He's not saying, I don't like him because he's tall. Then all tall men would be rejected. <laughs> I don't like him because he's good looking. Because Joseph was tall and good looking probably. And David also was good looking. So he's not talking about outward looks at all first. But he's saying, there is something wrong with this guy and I don't like him. I don't like him. Okay? I don't like him. I don't like his heart. And you will see, God was right. Because now later, if you fast forward to quite some time earlier, it's some days earlier, First Samuel chapter 17 verse 22, Ah, sorry, seven twenty-eight, Samuel seventeen twenty-eight. Now Eliab, his older brother, heard when he spoke to men. Eliab's anger was aroused against David, and he said, "Why did you come down here? With whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you have come to see the battle." Look at how the testimony changes. God looks at David's heart and says, "Here is a man after my own heart." Flesh looks at that same heart and says, "This is what you are." But actually, everything that he's saying is. What is is in his heart. And God saw this before anybody. The prophet didn't see it. His father didn't see it. He himself did not see it. God saw it and said, he's not fit to reign. He's not fit to reign. Okay. God takes one look at Eliab's heart and rejects him. And he will, he's, he's angry. He's jealousy. He has jealousy and he has got an accusing spirit. He looks at this and says, you're not fit to be king. So we look at these pictures and we need to realize what qualifies us in God's eyes to reign. To reign. And he's the eldest. Like Joseph's elder brothers, all of them. Reuben was rejected for another reason. He's a weak man. Eliab is rejected for a completely different thing. Okay? They're both the eldest. But they're rejected for Two different things. God had said, the first king was the desire of man. The second king will be the desire of God. So we are looking at, even when we especially, especially listen to the morning teachings, you have to see what is the desire of God. Don't take God out of the picture. If you take God out of the picture, you will miss the message. You will feel good. You will say it was a great message. But you will miss the point of the message because the point of the message is the message. The Holy Spirit is touching areas in our life which God says, I don't like that. And you don't deal with it. And I'll give, I'll give you the grace to deal with it. You too will be rejected. That's the reason. We are not here trying to get saved. We are here on the sanctification road. Okay, so it's always good to go with God. In Hebrews 4 and verse 12, God was very, very, very clear. The word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrows, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart, both. The word of God is... And that's why we come to the ministry of the word of God. The ministry of the word of God lays, lays bare our thought, 
and our heart. The thought may be one. It may look really good, but that's not enough. What is the intention behind it? God looks at it both. Now, the the intention and the thoughts both have to agree before God. And uh, prophets and priests and pastors, all can go wrong. Like the simple example I always uh, say is that imagine a woman whose husband is alcoholic and he comes and creates trouble every day. But she doesn't love God. She's very worldly, but this is troubling her. So she comes and tells pastor, please, please, please pray for my husband. I'm always fasting and praying that my husband would get saved. But his salvation has got nothing to do with God. For her, if he, if he gets saved, he'll stop drinking. And if he stops drinking, her trouble will cease. And then after he gets saved, and the trouble is, you don't see her in church anymore. She's taken him and gone into the world. I've seen so many cases like that. When the man was drunk, they came to church. When the man got delivered, they never came to church again. So, the word and the intention and the thoughts are not kosher. And God looks at it and God will wait. So, God waited. It doesn't matter. God has got a plan for Hannah's womb. And he's not going to give it away easily. So she can come to Shiloh and cry as much as she wants. He will not incur. Because now she's crying because she's envious about her sister. Co-sister. <laughs> her husband has got two wives. The other one is delivering like a rabbit. And this one has nothing. Has nothing. And she's also poking her every day. Okay, so all her tears are connected with that. And God says, I see your tears. I'm not going to answer it. But one day... Everything falls into place. You give me a son, and I will give him back to you. And I promise you, a razor won't touch. God says, prayer answered. Now your intention is right. You want to birth a king for me. I will answer. I have a king, chosen a king for myself. I will answer your prayer. And he will be a king. Samuel will be a king. He will judge Israel all the days of his life. Anoint two kings too. Okay, please remember, even in the smallest request to the biggest one, factor God in. Because the word of God will discern. It will open up everything. Everything. And that is what happened. When David went to see his brothers because his father sent him. Elias' heart is exposed. It is exposed. God will choose David. Okay, And you have to realize, we are not going through all that because we know it so well. But in that same portion we looked, 1728. Okay, 1728. Eliab asks a question. With whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? That's a question that is asked. So David was the keeper of sheep. It's the keeper of sheep. And, and the flock was small. Small flock. Okay. Our faithfulness is not connected with big things. Our faithfulness is connected with small things. He had a small flock. Okay. If you turn to Luke chapter 12 and verse 32. 12, 32. Do not fear little flock. The father's flock is also little. Okay, flock is also little. For it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. If the father is going to give the kingdom to the little flock, are you faithful as a shepherd of the little flock? Are you faithful in little things? 
be very, very careful about it because we will miss this out in our day-to-day things without realizing every day is on that road to reigning. It is not, we are not fighting for our salvation, we are saved. Those who have been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, to them he says, I have made you. Okay? So David's heart was with the sheep. Was with the sheep. Even when Samuel came to Bethlehem to his father's house, he stayed with the sheep. That was the biggest day in Bethlehem. The biggest day in his house. The big man of this country has come. But he's with the sheep. He's with the sheep. You know. I mean, that's his responsibility. Responsibility. You have to look like when there is a big occasion and you have a responsibility, what will you choose? That's why we admire all these essential services people. It's a call of duty. But in their case, they have no choice. But my question is, if you have a choice, if you have a choice, He did nothing until he was called by his father. He came only when his father called him. Okay. He was with the sheep. He didn't fidget. He didn't uh, leave the sheep with another shepherd. You know, there were other shepherds too. When his father calls him to send bread to check on his brothers, he left the flock with He could have said, I will leave it. Let me go to my father's house. I also want to be there. I also want to be there. The father said, take care of the sheep. And he said, okay, that's my job. But my father said, and you will see Jesus also did not step out until the father said. <coughs> okay, did you see? Jesus also did not step out until his father said. He also stayed hidden for 30 years. Okay, even, this, even the prophet doesn't know there is a boy called uh, David in the town. He doesn't know. He stayed hidden until he is called. The father calls him. So in chapter 16 and verse 13, you will see an interesting phrase over there. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of of his brothers. Joseph also was given a coat in the midst of his brothers. And Jesus also was anointed with the oil of gladness in the midst of his brothers. Okay. In the midst of his brothers. And one day God will, when he calls out the overcomers, it will be in the midst of the brothers. But David went back. Okay, that's the interesting part. It's anointed. And after that he goes back to his sheep. In the spiritual realm, everything has changed. Okay? Midst of the brothers, and scripture says in verse 13, the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day. And verse 14? The spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. Nobody knows this. <laughs> Realm 1, everything looks the same. Realm 2 and 3, everything has changed. Realm 3, spirit of God has left Saul. Spirit of God has come upon David. Realm 2, everybody knows this is the next king. But, Realm 3, sorry, Realm 1, Everything looks the same. And what does David do? He goes back to his sheep. Now it is the king in realm 3 who's tending the sheep in realm 
one. That's the point. Okay. Your anointing doesn't change anything until you are asked to come forward. You are, you are anointed. But the anointing doesn't change anything. You still have to wait for God to put you into the front. That is what is important. Very, very important. Nothing changes. In the spiritual realm, everything has changed. But you don't step out until God says it is time for you to step out. So what does Ephesians 1.3 says? We know it. We have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. When you didn't know it, when it should be God's time. Not before that. Don't fight and fight and fight one three. Fight and fight and say, Lord, I want it now. I want no. There is a time set for that. In the spiritual realm, David is anointed as king. In the physical realm, it will take how many years? Another 13 years? 10 years? 11 years? Nobody knows how many years he ran. Okay. Nobody knows. It's not manifested. A lot of people, I believe, are stepping out before their time. Before their time. And then like a shooting star, they'll fizzle out and go. Because they were not ready to be. Okay. In verse 15 onwards, you will see there is trouble in Israel, in, in the king's palace. Because when the Holy Spirit leaves, there is no vacuum. A distressing spirit comes. And Saul's servant said to him, surely a distressing spirit from God is troubling you. Let our master now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is a skillful player on the harp. And it shall be that he will play it with his hand when the distressing spirit from the God is upon you and you shall be well. And then, yeah, go further down. So Saul said to his servants, provide me a man who can play well and bring him to me. And that's the opening. And one of the servants answered and said, look. I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a mighty man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, a handsome person. All that is good, but that's not what makes the Lord is, and the Lord is with him. It's exactly what was told about Joseph. The Lord is with him. The Lord is with him. Okay. And once, everywhere you will see there is one servant. Who sees something. In Naman's house there is one servant. Who will see there is a prophet in Israel. In uh, Lord's household there is one servant. Who will escape and come and tell Abraham. There is one servant always. You know, with some spiritual insight. And then we see something about David. Which nobody knows. That he's got a skill. He, 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 not that he plays the guitar. He's skillful in playing the guitar. He's a mighty man of war, valor. He's a mighty man of valor. That means... He's fought animals. They know. You can't get a lamb out of his flock easily. Okay? Cannot. There is another portion in the Bible where it will talk, I think it's Jose or Joel or something, where it says, what do you get out of the lamb that has been taken by the lion? One leg and one ear. After the lion is finished with it. But not David. He will go and get the lamb back from the lion's mouth without losing a ear or a leg. So he's a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech and a handsome person. Okay, so you have the first introduction of this man. Okay, this is what, I mean, this is somebody who probably he's from Bethlehem and he's serving in the king's palace and he has seen David. So what the prophet didn't see, what the father didn't see, what the elder brother didn't see, Somebody else had seen who this is. So God didn't make a mistake. And God never makes a mistake anyway. 
There is he. The Lord is with him. Okay? And there is something over there. He plays skillfully. That is his gift. That is his gift. And his gift will open the door for him to come into the palace. Why? Because you are called to reign. And how can you reign? You can't come from a shepherd in the field and go tomorrow sit in this throne. No, you have to learn the process. So, Joseph, you are called to reign. You can't reign sitting in your father's house. I will take you through the palace. So first he takes him into the palace, the captain of the royal guard, and he is a steward. So he understands what royalty is, what Egypt administration is. He becomes a top administration in a big, large household, and that's not enough. From there he's thrown into prison. And immediately the two people who come are the two people in charge of the royal household, the chief butler and the cupbearer, and they will train him. He will serve them, and they will train him how the palace works, because he's called to reign. There are no accidents in the man of faith's life. There are no accidents. We think these are, these are not accidents. We don't have accidents. Accidents are for people in the world. We don't have accidents. Everything has been planned out by the Father. We have to see it and seize every person. The hard one, the nice one, the good one, the evil one, all has been factored by God to change me in the image of His Son so that one day I can rule. If there is no Saul, there is no David. Saul was the greatest influence in David's life to make him a man of peace, a man of mercy, a man of kindness. You know? Kindness, no? Nothing. That is a man who framed him. Thirteen years in the prison made Joseph who he was. Okay, so please get this. David was being trained to be in the palace. Okay? Exposure matters. We don't realize exposure matters. It really, really matters. And it mattered with Joseph. It mattered with Elisha. Quietly. Taken him out. And after that you don't hear him. What is matting? He's being trained in the prophetic. Quietly. Learn, 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 learn. Watch and learn, watch and learn, watch and learn. And nothing is shown. Nothing is shown. Okay, nothing is shown. What he is learning, he is learning. And then he will come out one day and everybody will come and bow down and say, this is the... And all the dear ones who are watching, nothing is wasted by God in life. That's why he told, like we saw yesterday, pick up the fragments. Whatever has gone from my hand, this is not ordinary bread. This bread has been broken. It has been blessed and broken. And nothing that God used to break you will be ever wasted. It will actually make you who you are. Make you who you are. So be very, very careful. Be very, 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 very careful. We go to verses 21 to 22. So David came to Saul and stood before him. And he loved him greatly. Remember, whenever you hear Saul loving him, this is the love of flesh. 
this is not the love of the spirit. The love of flesh will one day will love you, next day they will hate you. There's nothing consistent about that. He will love him and little later will try to kill him. Okay? He will love his son and try to kill his son. He will love his daughter and call her all kinds of names. Okay? So this is so, this is flesh. But when flesh is in love, it is very strong. He loved him greatly and he became his armor bearer. Then Saul sent to Jesse saying, please let David stand before me for he has found favor in my sight. Okay. Where is David now? In the king's palace. But there is one line in 17 and verse 15. 17 and verse 15. But David occasionally went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. These are little lines sit over there which shows this man. Okay. He still loved his sheep. He still was concerned about his sheep. And also, this is also one of the lessons which Paul will give Timothy. End your hardship as a discipline. Don't let the palace life make you soft. Don't make you soft. You always have to keep that consistently in life. Consistently in life. Because this is good. But if this continues like this, we'll all become slobs. This is not life. This is just one pocket God has given to us. Real life will come. Because we can, otherwise we will also, no, this is so nice, no, sit, eat nicely, study nicely, preach nicely and do nothing. And God says, no, this is not life. This is not life. This is for a season. Okay, so David knows it very well. How nice it after some time he'll say, This is life of oh, father's house. I have to do so many things, take the sheep in the morning, watch over them, lose sleep over it, bring them back. It was a terrible so many days to spend in the wilderness. This is life. What do I have to do? I have to play the guitar for the king, eat nicely and bear his armor. Anyway, no problem bearing his armor. He never goes to fight anyway. <laughs> no. It's a very, very, and this is, this is what happened to Ephraim. God will talk about Ephraim. What is that? Leave Ephraim alone. Yes, he's not joined to his idols. He has settled down in this lease. He has not been emptied from cup to cup. Ah, uh, is it Ephraim or Moab? Okay, Moab. Okay. That's how you make wine. If you don't empty it from container to container, the wine will go stale. It will go stale. That thing at the bottom has to be thrown out. It settles, thrown out. Then again, settles, thrown out. We have to be, we have to be emptied in life from cup to cup to cup to cup. That is the refining process. From his father's house to the slave, slave to prison. What is he doing? Pouring. Joseph. His brothers was always in one place. So they were never qualified to rule. Never qualified to rule. No. So people will look at you and say, poor fellow, he's always in trouble. You must say, I'm preparing to be a king. Unless, of course, it's by your own stupidity. Okay? So Paul will tell him, endure hardship has discipline because flesh has to be killed. It is a choice that one has to make. Flesh won't die on its own. Flesh won't die on its own. That's why I keep not boasting. That is why till today I will always choose. Now, of course, I'm here to choose to one day, time a day to sleep on the floor. Now I sleep only on the floor. I'll never allow this body to get used to comfort. 
Because once it gets, because issue, if God's plan is for you to spend next, let's say five years in prison, who's going to give you comfort there? Who's going to give you comfort over there? Okay. Okay. You have to look at this world always like that. And if it doesn't give you and takes you, you say, thank you, God. Anyway, I was prepared. It didn't happen. Okay. It's God. What I'm saying is that ever fast, continuously, constantly let fasting be a part. It's your lifestyle. It's your lifestyle because you are, you are teaching the flesh. You are not boss. You are not boss. Hmm? So we know the opportunity. If you look at verse 17 of, of chapter 17, 17, 17. I said to his son, take now for your brothers and ifa off. Wait a second. What if he had never gone home to check off the sheep? Would this have happened? No. This wouldn't have happened. Did you see? He had gone home. Though he was in the palace, he had gone home. And because he was in the because if he was in the palace, then he is in palace duties. You cannot go anywhere. But because he was with his father, he went to take up the sheep. The father said, "Hey, take some bread and cheese and go run to your brothers at the camp and check out how they are." That is what sets him up for his destiny. You getting it? If he had stayed in the comfort of the palace and not to the discomfort of taking care of his father's sheep in the wilderness, he would not have been called to take care of, take bread to his sheep. And that's when Goliath comes out. If Joseph had not volunteered or agreed to his father's idea of going all the way to Dothan with food for his brothers, he also would not have reached his destiny. Everybody's lines are being crossed. And God is asking you, will you serve those whom you don't, who don't love you? David's brothers didn't love him. They were jealous. Joseph's brothers did not love him. But that is where the path crosses, the path of destiny crosses. Why is so important? Because there is a perfection which God demands from us. We said yesterday, no, be perfect. For your father in heaven is perfect. You know, only thing he expects perfection, it is in love. It's in love, he says. And his son's final test, and the first test on the cross he passes, is that test. Father forgave them. They do not know what they are doing. Okay? If this hadn't happened, Joseph wouldn't have reached where he reached. David wouldn't have reached where he reached. We don't know. Maybe God would have worked out something else where they were forced to go. Okay. <laughs> Once God chooses a man, he gives him, pushes him. Okay. So now let's see. He's there. We, we are not going into Goliaths. We all know the Goliath story and everything. But let's look at what matters spiritually in David's life. If you come to chapter 17 and he reaches over there and he's in verse 26. David spoke to the men who stood by him, saying, What shall be done for the man who kills his Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? He saw what others did not see. He saw the big picture. He did not see it as Israel's army or Saul's army. He saw them as God's army. He saw the big picture. Okay, Unless we see ourselves in the big picture, 
No, it's not that who can defeat me. No, if God is for me, who can be against me? If the church is God's Christ's bride, then who can destroy her? You have to see identity that way. Okay, that's what he's saying. He saw something which none of them saw. He's first thing he identifies the enemy by his relationship with the living God. His uncircumcised Philistine. That means he has no covenant with the living God. So the enemy has already been, like I told you, you have to define your enemy. Otherwise it won't work. <coughs> it won't work. It won't work. You have to define your enemy. Second thing, you have to know your identity. He's very clear. This is the armies of the, he didn't say the armies of Israel. He did not say the armies of Saul. He said the armies of the living God. So you have to identify who is your enemy and you have to define your identity in Christ Jesus. Because everything promised in the new covenant is only in Christ Jesus. If you come down to verse 32. David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Young boy comes out of the blue and says, you know what? Nobody has to be afraid today. I will fight. Okay. And now you will suddenly see the foreground and the background. The earthly reality and the heavenly reality. Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. You are a youth. And he is a man of war from his youth. Spiritual reality and physical reality. Sometimes, you know, we don't say, I still remember 1994, I think, when my pastor came and said, no, you will preach tomorrow, the next Sunday. He saw what I didn't see. And never preached in my life. Never preached in my life. But he saw something, and this is a church with leaders in the church. People who have been in ministry for years and years together, all sitting over there. Okay, all are leaders. And he came and looked at me and said, you're preaching next Sunday. Out of the blue. He saw something which even I did not know. Saul is king. But he is a king of flesh. Okay, he's a king of flesh. So he's not able to see at all. At all. So when God tells something to you, take him at his word because he sees something which you don't see. Whether it is good or bad. Okay, God sees something which you or I don't see. So even now when the word is speaking to you and you believe the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, take note because he sees something which we do not see. That's the reality over there. And verse 34 to 37. It's interesting what happens. David said to Saul, okay, now comes the testimony. Your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from his mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by the beard and struck and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied again, he says, the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Listen to his testimony very clearly. He's absolutely sure it was God who gave him the victory. 
the other servant had said, the Lord is with him. Now he is proving the Lord is with me. Second thing, this I preached many times in the past, but listen carefully. Let us say his father. Let us, let us say I am the father. I am Jesse. And I got hundred sheep. And a lion came. And took one. Okay. And David got the 91, rushed and got them home and said, Dad, Dad, today, you know what? Today a lion came and took a sheep. It was a big one. I managed to bring the lion. What will I say? I said, Father, thank you, son. I'm happy. 99 are safe and you are alive. That's not what he does. That's not what he does. That is not what he does. The first parable of Jesus Christ. He goes after that one that is lost. Okay, this is the heart of the shepherd. One that is lost. You know what is happening from heaven in the spiritual realm which nobody knows. Nobody knows this has happened. Maybe the shepherds heard about it and nobody knows about this has happened. But in heaven God is watching. He says, if this young boy will risk his life for a lamb, I can entrust my nation into his hands. He'll take care of my sheep. He'll take care of my sheep. I always tell you there are certain things in your life which will, which will, but you, that changes your life forever. And nobody sees it. Only God sees it. Nobody sees it. God sees it. And that changes your life. And I will tell you in the book of Genesis what happens. I know you guys know it for those who do not know. Second trip, all the brothers are there. Simeon had been locked and David, King, Prince Joseph, nobody knows he is Joseph, said, unless you bring your youngest brother, I'm not going to release everything. And then when it is brought, he believes and he is very happy, but he pretends all that. He says, okay, now you can all go. But Benjamin will be here. Benjamin cannot go. It is like shock. Okay, so now Simeon can go, all of you can go, take everything and go. Benjamin will remain here now. So you have 12 brothers actually. One is sitting on the throne. Nobody knows it is the 10th brother. And you have 11 brothers over here. And it is all got to do with Benjamin. At that point, Judah stands up and he says, My Lord, our father had 12 sons and one died. After that, he was heartbroken. Now this little boy, he's not a little boy. He's got married with children. Judah is married with children and all. Okay, but... They look at him as a little a young youngest brother. Our old father's heart is yoked to this boy. If he doesn't go back, our father will die of grief. So I have a request. Let him go. I will stay as a prisoner in his place. I believe that is when the mantle of Jesus fell upon Judah and the scepter will not depart from Judah. Because when 12 brothers were sitting and 11 were thinking about life, one was willing to die on his brother's place. And God said, that's my king. That's my king. And here is a young man who is willing to risk his life for a lamb. And God says, that's my king. That's my king. And you always have to go through life Because these are the things God looks for. Because in the world, that's why when they said, let's bring down fire. Jesus said, hey, you got this kingship completely ulta. If you give me a piece of paper, can you give me a piece of paper? Just a piece of paper. Just a plain piece of paper. Quickly. 
I can tear from my book because I used to smack my students if they tore. <laughs> These are things we never allow in a classroom to tear from your note. Okay. This is a simple illustration. Okay. Let me make a simple illustration. This is not a boat, but think for this thing. This is a pyramid. This is a structure of a human government. At the top is the king, president, prime minister top. At the bottom is the poorest. The weight is borne by the poorest and the weakest in a government system. In God's kingdom, it is this. The poorest and the weakest are at the top, and the weight is borne by God. And God is always looking for a man or a woman who will go to the bottom and take the weight and says, you are my king. Always. Because that's what he said, the kings of this world, lord over them. You don't be. You don't be. It's the other way. It's the other way. And until we get in that into our mind and fight it, because the flesh always wants to lord, the spirit says, go down. Go down. Go down. We don't get it. We will not understand who God's kings are. See, if you go through the Bible and you look at all these things and you will realize, hey, these are the things that God wants to be. Lord, I understand the truth. That's what we hear morning and evening, the truth. I understand the truth. Lord, make me true. I want to be that. I see that. My flesh will fight every day of my life. But Lord, I want to be that. That is what God did with Moses. At 40, Moses thought, I am king, chosen by God, because he was at the top of the pyramid. If you look at the entire set of slaves, he's the only prince among them who has grown up in the palace, educated, mighty in words, deeds, sword, everything. And he began that. God said, you got it wrong, Moses, completely. Forty years later, he was this. It was this. He was at the bottom. So God says, yeah, now you can take the Lord of the kingdom. You are my man. You are my man. So you look at any one of these people, whether it is a Joseph or a Moses or a David, why are they different as leaders? It's because they understood God's principle. And these are very important things. Nobody saw. Nobody knew. But God saw a lamb. Who would risk a life to go after a lamb? And consistently, it's not one time. One time a lion came, like a fluke. Second time a bear came. Again you went. You fought a lion and you fought a bear. Fought a lion and fought a bear. This is what we call ministry. This ministry is easy. (laughs) This is not a difficult ministry. We come here, we prepare, we teach. But this is not ministry. Life is ministry. And please remember, there is a God who is watching over. Watching over and is always looking. Okay, what happens? Flesh will hear always with the ears of flesh. And interpret it completely different. Look at verse 38 and 39. So Saul clothed David with his armor, and he put a bronze helmet on his head. He also clothed with a coat of mail. David fastened his sword to his armor, armor and tried to walk, for he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, I cannot walk with this, for I have not tested them. So David took them off. Okay, What is flesh trying to do? Flesh is trying to dress him in the weapons of the flesh. Our weapons are not carnal. 
are not carnal. They are mighty in God. If he puts on Saul's bronze helmet, it is a head which does not understand salvation. It is a head that has already been judged. You don't put his helmet on this man's head. This is a man who has judged every thought in his mind. You are a man who will never allow anything to judge you. You are putting on a breastplate of which is actually a compromise. Well, David has got a spiritual breastplate which is that of righteousness. And David takes it off. Yet he's going to fight. It is going to fight. Meaning, these are spiritual battles. And you cannot, you cannot fight spiritual battles with untested weapons. Untested armor. That is why God is telling through Paul to Timothy, 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 work on the word, work on the word, work on the word, work on the word. You cannot fight this with the word which is untested. You do not know. It's not. You can go to Bible college and come up with biblical knowledge. But the question is, has the word of God tested you? Has the word of God tested you? Isn't that what it said in Psalm 105 about Joseph? Until the word of God had tested him. He's saying, I have this are, I have not tested this. I know what I have tested. I'll go with what I have tested. It's better to have a preacher who knows five chapters of the Bible which has been tested in his life than a man who knows the entire Bible and nothing has been tested. He says, I have not been tested in this. You know, because ministry is testing. And this entire youth, 60-fold, is a fold of testing. Every word that Joseph has received is being tested in his life. This word of God has to test us in our life. And we have to come through it. And then one day God will say, you're qualified to reign. The word of God went through you. You come through. And that's what is happening. He says, I cannot walk with this. I cannot. And it's a very important decision. A young man is... Making, it's making a very, very, this is a very young man, but he's a very mature young man, spiritually very mature young man. Let's see what happens in verse 40, what he does. We saw that yesterday. He took his staff. He took his staff. That is his authority. That signifies his authority. Okay. Every time he went against the bear or the lion, he as a shepherd, he took his staff and went. This is the difference, okay? Get this carefully, okay? Get this carefully. When flesh was anointed and flesh went out to battle, flesh took the sword. Second time, he's not been enthroned. In the spiritual realm, he's anointed. He's the actual king of Israel in God's sight. Though another king is sitting over there. But who has God anointed? He's anointed a shepherd. So when he goes to fight his first battle, he goes with his shepherd's staff. As Moses went before Pharaoh. First time he used a sword. Second time he used a shepherd's staff and God brought his people out. And the shepherd king is going with the shepherd's staff to fight his enemy. Remember, always that. This is our authority. This is a shepherd's staff. We fight our, yes, shepherd. We fight our battles with this. We don't use 
human intuition and human ideas and that is what has happened to the church business principles and business models and all kind of things have been brought in and mixed with the word you can't do that you can't do that you have to stand on the word live or die by the word alone by alone and that's the thing. that's the first battle he's going to fight scripture says he chose he took his staff in his hand and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook. Five, of course, we know is the number for grace and also the number for ministry. So out of David will come Christ. So he's picking five stones. But he did not pick ordinary stones. He picked smooth stones. Smooth stones. For a stone to become smooth, that stone has come from the mountain and been worked on, worked on. Other stones have rubbed and rubbed and rubbed and rubbed and rubbed by the water and the friction, everything. Then only it becomes smooth. God has a fivefold ministry. He says when they actually step out, they would have become smooth by the word and by the suffering in their life. Then I will use them. But we would think that a sharp stone would be very nice. Now it will pierce his head. God says, I don't want sharp. You see all these new pastors, especially with our Nigerian brothers, they are all dressed sharply. Have you noticed them? (laughs) 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 Sharp. All are sharp. If you have noticed them, they are very, very sharp. Okay, they are very sharp. Okay, But now God says, I don't want sharp stones. I want smooth stones. Smooth stones, five smooth stones, and he took. And why did he take five? If you miss the first one, there are four more. But there's another reason also, practical, because you will see Goliath had four brothers. But maybe that was an aside, we do not know. But what you see is that, that's how he went. And his sling was in his hand. The sling... What does sling represent? Unlike the sword, what does the sling represent? The sling represents the deliverance of the Lord. Okay. The sword is close battle. The sling or the bow and the arrow is far. So when at the end we pray, we are not using the sword of the word. We are using the sling of the word that it will bring forth deliverance wherever we cannot reach. We believe. It will bring forth deliverance. And these are all weapons of warfare. These are all weapons. And you have to believe. Because the actual pictures of the battle are all given in the Old Testament. Starting with the first battle you will see in Abraham fighting the five kings. Which is there in Genesis 14. From that onwards you have to go through battles and find your spiritual weapons. How do you fight this battle? So here is the anointed king of Israel. Nobody knows. The other fellow also has no clue. He's going with his staff, with his sling and his five stone. And the Philistine came and began drawing near to David and the man who bore the shield went. Let's see what happened. The power of deliverance. Okay. He's standing there. You know him. He's ten feet tall, all dressed in brass. That is the picture of the man of sin. Saul is the picture of the man of flesh. Goliath is the picture of the man of sin. And David is the picture of the man of God. There are three men there. Three men. One tall, dressed in brass. Brass is a sign of God's judgment. He's the man of sin. Facing him is a a youth. Remember? Young man. Goliath has a sword. 
You know, Goliath has a sword. But his sword is the sword of self-destruction. That sword will be used not to kill God's man. That sword will be used to cut his own head. And every man who does not come to Christ Jesus is destroying himself with his own sword, the sword of sin. He will kill himself. And ultimately, the man of flesh will become the man of sin and he will kill himself with his own sword. And in verse 42, when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was only a youth, ruddy means red-faced and good-looking. So Philistine said to David, am I a dog? That he come at me with sticks. Okay, okay, am I a dog? And Philistine cursed David by his gods. This is the mistake he makes because when he is cursing David, he is cursing the anointing that is upon him. He has no clue. And God has said, do not touch my anointed. This is the problem. That's why I always tell you young men, no, especially the ones on pastor's conference, be very gentle with them. Be very gentle with them. They are poor. They may have come, may not even have chapels. Be very gentle with them. Very gentle with them. You don't know. You don't know. They're God's servants. Be very, very careful with all these people. Don't judge them by what they are. Just imagine they have an anointing over their lives and you respect that anointing. Be careful. First Samuel 17 and verse 45. You know, all this, I'm just going through the spiritual facts which young, the 60 realm warriors need to learn. Come to me, I will give you. Those are all empty threats. Anyway, we don't get afraid because you remember the, the, the way of the enemy, the method of the enemy is intimidation. The whole, the devil's, one of his great, if, yeah, if deception is his number one weapon, then one B is, one A is deception, one B is fear, intimidation. He can, that's why God says, I have not given. You will always see intimidate. And all the governments are preparing that, intimidating the people, and really, really. And the people who are doing it have no idea. But behind in the second realm, the entire picture of what is happening is to have an intimidated, fearful people. And they have managed it. Lock down everybody inside. And there is so much fear, physical fear of this thing by the police and also fear of situation, future circumstances, and that is his weapon. And that is why we are not afraid. We obey the law. We won't go out, break the law or anything, but we are not afraid of what is coming because fear is is this thing. No, and if you look at what he says, you come with me a sword with a spear and a javelin. We have heard it so many times. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of armies of Israel, whom you have defied. You know what you see there? He was not fighting for Israel. It was secondary. He was not fighting for Saul. That was also secondary. He was fighting for God. For the name of the Lord. That's how he begins. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be. And what is the first thing we hear about Joseph also as a young man? He was zealous for his father's name. And David is zealous for God's name. As young people understand how it works. And God looks at all these patterns. These patterns are all very, very same. Daniel as a young man in Babylon is zealous for God's name. I will not defile myself. Nobody knows. People will say, who cares? But Daniel says, I care. 
So three overcoming young people in the Bible over there, and you will see all of them begin the same way. So there is a pattern that is emerging. A pattern that is emerging, how from a child do you become a young man? There is a pattern that is emerging. Everybody is zealous for the name. And then you come down to the new covenant when they ask them to pray, Jesus says, this is how. And you will see all his life, Jesus was zealous for his father's name. Zealous for his father's name. 46, 47. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. I will strike you, take your head from you. See, what happened was Goliath has no clue this is a spiritual battle. And the problem is the church also has not realized everything that is happening is actually a spiritual battle. And whoever loses in the spiritual realm loses the battle. Loses the battle. It's it's as simple as that. If you win there, you will win here. God said if you bind anything in, Earth, I will bind it in heaven. The battle has to be won there. If you win the battle there, you will win the battle here. But that is where you will see the church has been so weakened by not having a prayer life. The Bible is very, very clear. Kings and priests rule by prayer and by proclamation. And in the book of Acts, the apostles got it. And he has no clue this is a spiritual battle. And he says... The, the Lord does not say with the sword and the spear, for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. Okay, It's incredible that this young boy, and this is what the wilderness does. And if you look at his seven brothers, and if you look at all of them, and you look at his lifestyle, even after he goes into the palace, what made this boy different? It's because he preferred the wilderness to the palace. He wanted his time alone with God. Spent time alone with God. Therefore, that frames your mind. And unless we get it, yes, we live in this world, but I am not part of the world. But that is not just an idea. It also has to be proved practically. I have set myself times apart from the world. I will lock myself in. And I will do it. Because one is an idea, the other is a life. And everybody you look who has come out in God's kingdom came out of the wilderness. Everybody who was worth his name in the Bible. They all came out of that kind of an experience and they saw differently. And they spoke differently. Because that was their life. And that's what he's saying. This assembly shall know, the Lord does not say with the sword and the spear, for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. That's his. And we have to look at life that way. That's why I'm saying, we are not looking at his battle or anything. The thing is that what we are looking at is, how do we look at life? Do we miss the big picture? There is one man in that entire camp. Everybody is looking at what is happening over there. Everything he says, speaking, is what is happening there. One man. He's talking nothing about what is happening over here. Everything he's talking is, is connected to realm 3. This is what my God is. And that is what the whole thing I want to... Stress on today. We will move from from David. We'll look at David again tomorrow. But uh, I want to look at uh, along. Just bring our focus back 
focus back to Jesus Christ because we are not learning about David. We are learning about how God worked through David. Why did God work through David? It's because they were fundamental principles of the kingdom of God. That's what I started with, the big picture and the eternal picture and the temporal picture. Okay, let's go to Matthew chapter 6. As we close, we'll take 15-20 minutes. Matthew chapter 6, 25 to 34. Matthew 6. Uh, 25 to 34, yeah, till the end. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they have grown. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field which is today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not more, much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. And 34, therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Okay. Now Jesus is talking to simple people, daily wage workers, if you want to use that term. And he's not saying that they don't have real issues in life, that we should not eat or drink or clothe. He's not saying that either. But he's saying, understand, enemy's weapon. Enemy's weapon is distraction. There's deception, there is fear, there is distraction. He's not dismissing the actual issues of life. They are real. Okay, if you go back to 25. He came in the body. He ate. He drank and he was clothed. And when he led Israel for 40 years, he personally fed them every day so that it had, they had good water and they were clothed 40 years. But he's teaching us something very, very fundamental to us, especially in a time like this. Especially if you look at these verses from 25 to 34, two times you'll use the word God and two times you will use the word Father, interchanging them both. There is a God, the big picture, the God is your Father. That's a big picture, you say. You know, I know you need to eat. I know you need to drink. I know you need clothes. Basic, you, I know what temporal life consists of. But I also want to tell you there is a God, and that God is your Father. Okay. That's the overwhelming picture. God is your father. And you know, when we sit and go through this, that's a picture we miss. That's a picture we miss. If God is your father, verse 25, he says, don't worry. 
Verse 31, he says, don't worry. Verse 34, he says, don't worry. Three times he says, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. In verse uh, 27, he also tells us the futility of worrying. He says, by worrying, which one of you has changed your situation? That's what all of Israel was doing, sitting there and worrying about Goliath. It didn't change the situation one bit. He says, he says first get the big picture. There is God. He's in charge of everything. The big picture for you, God is your father. That God is your father. Second thing, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. Third thing, the absolute total futility of worrying. Question is, is the CV going to go, coronavirus going to go away tomorrow? No. Does your worry change anything? No. But has that stopped you from worrying? Okay. You know it doesn't change anything. What he says, are you able to simply relax and leave it into my hands and do what I call you to do? Are you able to see the big picture? Pray. Yes, you need to pray. And trust me. And he comes to verse 26. Verse 26 is a huge, huge, huge canvas. We are missing that picture because we look at it and especially people like us who are in the city here who sees two birds a day doesn't realize how many billions are there. They are in billions. And he says, your father feeds them. Your father feeds them. Making it very, very personal. He says, just think about the size of your father. The awesome nature of your father. Do you know how many billions are there? And he doesn't say God feeds. He says, your father feeds them. Imagine, no, like, just imagine Pastor Vijay, okay? I mean, he doesn't like any of these pets. But imagine he likes. My wife also doesn't like, so we are like stuck I like pets, my wife doesn't like, he loves pets, he doesn't love, I think his family loves, I don't know, they also don't, so he at least doesn't have to worry there. Okay, imagine Pastor Vijay is a landlord, okay, and he's got farmer, he's got 300 cows, he's got cattle, and he's got birds, he's got ducklings, he's got all this stuff, and he's got two children. And the children look at and he says, the cows are all fat and calves, eating nicely. Chick, all are eating nicely. Do you think the children should be worrying whether they will get food? This is their father. And he owns all this. And that's the question he's saying. He says, have you taken a look? He says, take the big picture. Take a big picture, he says. So they understand these pictures. Because they're a rural community. Says, take a look. Your father feeds every bird in the sky, on the land, everything. Do you know that? And he doesn't even stress about it. <laughs> without, like we say in normal, this thing in without breaking a sweat, <laughs> he feeds them. Okay, he tells, look at the birds of the air. Okay. That's a huge, huge picture canvas he's drawing. And that's the big picture I have to look at. Okay. Man created coronavirus. But we don't hear any bird or animal dying because of it. 
You created, you pay the price. I'll take care of the rest. So the animals have asked, had a conclave recently and said, let us keep a five meter social distance from these humans. (laughs) The only set of creatures who are not worrying about coronavirus are the birds and the animals. Because they know their God is taking care of them. They are not worrying. God did not put worry into their heads. You know what he says? They do not sow. They do not reap. They do not gather. Yeah, no, go, go back, 27. They do not sow. They do not reap. They do not gather. Nor do they worry. And the father takes care of all of them. He says, you sow, you reap, and you stock, and you worry. And you worry. And you worry. And this entire exercise is to teach the world. Everybody thought a nuclear attack is coming. Nothing came in. Something that cannot be even seen. A virus has brought everybody down. But he's saying, he's telling his children, okay, virus you cannot see has created so much havoc and so much fear. What about you? What did I tell you? I told you right now, even if you have faith as small as a mustard seed. He said, I have seen all this in advance. All you need to overcome is faith as small as a mustard seed. Faith in this big God who is your father. That's all you need. He said, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, small, as tiny. Because the virus is tinier than that. And a mustard seed also, you don't actually, if I hold it, you won't see it. He said, that's all you need. To handle the biggest crisis in your life, all you need is faith in God. And that's what Joseph had. And that's what David had. Got it? Yeah. No? Yeah. He comes down now to clothing. I love his illustration. He's original, no? He says, look at, look at the lilies of the world. They neither toil nor spin. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, which is actually true. You look at every flower. Boy, no painter can cast those shades. He is not even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like any one of this. Mankind gets his all his inspiration from God's creation. He's a master. He says, but he says, what I want to tell you is that he said, look at them. Do they toil? Do they spin? These are our primary worries, three worries. What do you eat, what do you drink, what to wear. And connected with that, everything after coronavirus comes, what will I eat, what will I drink, what will. God says, you know what, the only thing that stops you is. Can we go back to 25 onwards down? He, ah, yeah, 25, 25. Yeah, we saw, yeah, let's go back. Yeah, come down, it's 26. Yeah, yeah, sir. Are you not... Of more value than they? He's, he's asking for an honest appraisal. He says, how do you think you look in my father's eyes? If he takes care of all. Imagine, I gave you the first lesson. Imagine this farmer goes out and sees all the cattle are fed and all the sheep are fed and all the ducklings and chickens are fed and starve his children. He says, that's what I'm saying. We are messing up the image of God. He says, you know what, this is what religion does. Religion changes the image of God. 
He says, aren't you of more value than them? Brings value over there. Do we see value? The greatest verse in the Bible, when it comes to these things, the value verse is Romans 8.32. Greatest verse when we look at the temporal things we need. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? That's a value statement. Okay, This is a big picture. You have to look at it. So we have to personalize what Joseph went through. That is a huge level fight. We are still in that battle and David will. But we also have to look at into our day-to-day lives and see how do I see life? Let's go back to 6, 31 and 32. Okay. Therefore do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink or what shall we wear? Verse 32. After all these things the Gentiles seek. Why do the Gentiles seek all these things? Because they do not know God as their father. Difference is that. They don't know God as their father. He says, by what you seek, your identity is revealed. By what you and I seek, our identity is revealed. Gentiles' identity is revealed by what they seek. Believers' identity is revealed by what they seek. And when a believer seeks those things the Gentiles seek, he has become a Gentile. Though he may go to church, he has become a Gentile. He says, you don't have to seek that. You don't have to seek. That's not your priority. You have to work. All these things you have to do. I'm not, I'm not, Changing anything that we do. He says, my people are acting like unbelievers who do not know God. They are acting like orphans as if they don't have a father. Do not have it. You know, in the second, second world war, after everything was over, all these orphans who were brought, I, I think it was in Germany, the, after the war and the Americans were taking care of them. And all these orphans, they couldn't sleep at night. They couldn't sleep at night. And one of the caretakers decided, let me try something. She watched them and realized this could be it. So that is she got permission and the whole set of kids were allowed to go to sleep holding a slice of bread in their hands. And they all fell asleep. Because they couldn't sleep because they had been starved all these months and years. So they could not sleep because of fear whether we'll get food tomorrow. So she gave them all, after they have all eaten nicely, gave them all a slice of bread and they all held that bread and went to sleep. And God says, do you know what? The whole world? Whole world? Are you orphans? He says, are you orphans or do you have a father? Do you remember this is what the, brought the prodigal son to his senses? The prodigal son came to his senses by thinking, in my father's house, hey, 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 wait a second, in my father's house, not the servants, even the hired servants. Hired servant is the lowest category. The servants can be like Elias or even inherit the estate if you have no children. Even the hired servants. That's what brought him to his senses. And that's what caused him to go back. Okay. 
So God is saying, are you missing the big picture in life? And I'm more, my concern is that all the parents sitting in the houses, locked down, are still pumping their children for the world and missing the big picture. Missing the big picture. Yes, my children, our children need to study well. But that's not the big picture. The big picture is you need to know God. You need to know God as your father. And I will tell you, if you know God as your father, he will never, ever let go of you. That's what David will say. I was young. Now I am old. I've never seen the righteous beg bread. See? He's making a statement. Never seen it. And that's why I said the greatest sin is the sin of unbelief. Sin of unbelief. I remember one time in my life I was caught. Never ever like that in my life, you know. I had, I got down at a station called Siliguri and I train and I got at the bus station, reach the bus station. I have to go to where my parents are. But the only problem is there, uh, it's uh, those years. The bus is seven rupees fare. And I reached with my bag, everything. I had gone all the way from Kerala. I looked into my pocket, everything. I have only five rupees. The problem is two rupees is 20 kilometers. And I don't know anybody. No telephone, nothing, anybody over there. And here I am standing there with all my luggage and the buses come also. It's waiting, pep, pep, and I'm looking and say, Lord, what do I do? Only five rupees. You can't get in with five rupees. The government bus, only one bus a day. Standing over there and I say, Lord, help me. Then I look at, hey, that was a soldier who was with me in the same compartment and he and I talked also. So I went to him and said, sir, I need two rupees. He said, two rupees? Oh, please take two rupees. And I reached my home. Reached my home. Happily reached my home. I remember that was the biggest, like, monetarily, like, caught in a corner. Lord, I'm in nowhere, no man's land, and I need two rupees. Who do I ask for two rupees? Everybody is a stranger. And when the bus was about to leave, I looked, there is a man I know. And I just met him in the train, went and asked him for two rupees. He gave me two rupees, and I reached home. You know, and I still believe it was that father who sent that man there at that time. The father has never changed. Right? And that's what he's talking about. And all these ideas are connected. Because Gentiles' anxiety levels are connected always with how much they have or how much they don't have. It goes up like that. The more the Gentiles have, the more confident they are. The more. Have you noticed in this entire coronavirus episode, have you ever heard in India one politician is ill? That means nobody's out, everybody's hiding. While in other countries, even the Prime Minister went to the ICU because they are taking care of the people. And they went out. Here, everybody seems to be safe. No? The rich, the Gentiles, everything is, anxiety levels are always connected with how much you have. He says, you know what? You are acting like a Gentile. And in the process, what happens? You are focusing the big picture what you actually ought to be focusing on. Your eyes are so much on the temporal, you don't realize you got into the kingdom, your eyes are on the temporal, you're missing the eternal. What is the eternal? Eternal is 33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You're missing. 
what you should be focusing on because your eyes are on the temporal. You are missing the eternal. That's what happened to the church. And then to justify themselves, they made an eternal message of the temporal. The more you have and you need to name it and claim it and have all this. But that's not the message of the gospel. The message is the gospel is focus on that and do your things in righteousness and God will keep on adding. That's what we see in David's life and Joseph's life. God kept on adding. They were excellent workers, diligent workers, but if you look at it, what they are doing, their focus is on God and his name and his kingdom and his righteousness. And that's what you see a young boy standing there and saying with his mouth. My God, my God, my God, my God. Telling even the what his testimony before the king, his testimony before the Israeli army, and his testimony before the Philistine was the same. He did not have three testimonies before three sets of people. He had the same testimony before. Who is this uncircumcised man that he dared defy the armies of the living God before the men, before the king? Exactly same testimony. King, if you don't believe me, trust me, let me tell you, my God helped me from the rescue the lamb from the mouth of the bear and the lion. And when this man comes, the Gentile comes, the testimony doesn't change. You come against me with the spear, the sword, the javelin. I come against you in the name of Jehovah Shabbat. This is not a testimony. This is his life. That's the difference. That is his life. Before all three categories of people, the testimony is the same because that is his life. And that's what we are trying to say. Do not fear. Because if you fear and if you are distracted, we will not make through this. I'm not talking about coronavirus. I'm talking about what is coming. We will not. Those companies will start doing all kind of half pay, no pay. They will try to, what do you call it, downsize. Some they will keep, some they will. And people are all, already anxiety levels are all going up. And, God says, and most of us, almost 90, 99% of the church, our church, doesn't even own a house of their own. So you need rent to pay everything. But God says, are you, miss, are you not missing the big picture? Are you not missing the big picture? He says, don't miss the big picture. Don't miss the big picture. Seek ye first thee. Yes, because our worries are a clear barometer of our inner life. Our worries, it is not our words, it is our worries. It's the actual barometer of our faith life. So God shut everything in, everybody in, and he's telling, take an inventory of your life. Where do you stand with me? Everything is shut. No work, no pay, no salary, nothing. Everybody is shut down. Even government is cutting salaries, 30% down. All that, they are doing it. US and all, a lot of millions will lose their jobs, waiting for handouts. But the question is, all that we learned all these years, God is saying, have I changed? Didn't I feed Israel for 40 years? When they had no access to anything, even if they wanted to work, there was no work. Even if they wanted to buy with the gold and silver they bought, there is nothing to buy. Didn't I take care of them? Didn't I take care of them? Is your situation like that? Do you trust that I can take care of you? The problem is we have become so scientific and uh, we think like the world and we shorten God's hand by our unbelief. 
unbelief. God says, I will take care of you. That's the message I want to say. God is saying, keep your eyes on me. I will take care of you. I could give you a thousand testimonies of all these years. From the beginning, how you took me through. That's why I always tell you, there is one thing I don't worry about. What I don't worry about is provision. But I worry about waste. I don't worry about provision. <laughs> okay, again, I'll tell you children, when you finish, put out the lights. Okay, I worry about waste. But I don't worry about provision. Because waste is a sign of bad stewardship. It's a judgment on me. Provision is a sign of a good father. And he's a good father good father. And that's what he say. Do not worry. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. So as we close tonight, God will say, now it is very easy to stop there and say, oh yeah, I don't worry. But the question is this. Gentiles seek. If Gentiles seek, what do believers do? Believers give. Because they do not fear and they know the pockets of their father is very big. They do not fear. It is not enough to your faith. That's what Joseph is doing. What do you think Joseph is doing for 13 years? He's giving and giving and giving and giving. He's pouring his entire life out. I absolutely know this thing. God says, you see, the thing is that if you believe that if you go back to Revelation chapter 1 and verse uh, 5 or 6, right? Where he guards about 6, right? God has what? Made us kings and not that he will make us. Right? Is, does David have a crown? Has he ever sat on the throne? Does anybody know what he is? No. But does he act like a king? Yes. He acts like a king. Everywhere he acts like a king. And he doesn't even know. It comes to him naturally. He's not pretending or acting. It's not no drama. The question is, Joseph is destined to reign. In Potiphar's house, is he giving? Yes. Kings in heaven give. Our God gives. Is giving and giving and giving and giving. In the, in the prison, is he giving? But the people in the world are not kings, they are beggars. They are orphans. So what do they do? They seek, they seek, they seek. That's the difference. We seek righteousness and we give freely. That's what he says. I was old, I was, I am young, I was young, I am old. I have never seen the righteous beg bread, but they give freely. Does Joseph have money to give? No. Does he have gold to give? No. What does he have to give? What he has, he is giving. That is his service. Okay. What does David have to go? David has faith to give. The courage, the boldness to fight. He says, I will give that. And God takes it. Takes it. And what do we have at this point like that? Other than what the people we are helping? We know we have the word. We have the word. And we will give it more during this time than ever before. Because we know we have a captive audience. Or lockdown. <laughs> So they have nowhere to go. So, but we have, we have to give. And you all have to think that way. If I am a king, I am a giver. I am a giver. And above all, like I keep us saying, the true mark of a king is extending mercy. That's a king. 
Only kings can extend mercy. Others cannot extend mercy. That's a sign of royalty, extends mercy. That is Joseph, extends mercy. That's David, extends mercy. These are kings. These are kings. So let's pray. So get that big picture. Don't take that big picture. Otherwise, you know, we will hear all these messages, take notes and forget them conveniently. All the points of what it is has to become life for us. And we do not fear. We do not get distracted. We do not get anxious. We have to fight these things consciously. And the way you fight it is look at the big picture. God who feeds all the birds of the air, all the animals on the earth, all the fish in the sea. He's my father. He's my father. God is my father. I'm not an orphan. I'm not an orphan. There are no orphans in God's kingdom. There are orphans in the world. There are no orphans in God's kingdom. And our job is, as sons and daughters is go to the world and make sons and daughters out of orphans to bring them to the Father. And if we worry and we seek the things they seek and we get distracted, we are failing in our mission. We are failing in our mission. As I heard Brother Zach say, he says on the sixth day God created the animals and he created man too. So the only difference was God breathed into man and not into the animals. Therefore, he says, if you look at all the animals, how do they walk? They look down, they look down, they look down, they look down, they look down. And if they look up, it's expecting something. But he says, we look up. When all these things happen, he says, what do we do? We look up because we know our father, time is here. We look up. Animals don't look up because they have no hope. But he says, when the spirit of the father is gone, then we also start looking down and looking around except looking up. And we look up. So this evening, let's look up and confess our father. Everything he taught them, he brought them back to the father. Even when he said, I am the way, the truth and the life, he said, no man can come to the father. Father, this evening we come to you. And by faith I bring all who are listening, everyone who are listening, whichever country they are, this absolute total uncertainty. When this is over, what will happen? But there is only one thing that is certain in our lives. It's you, Lord. You are the only one. You said I would never leave you nor forsake you. You were there with Joseph in the prison. You were there with David in the wilderness. When the lion came, when the bear came, you were there with him. And you are there with us now. Yet, there are so many of your kingdom. They are saved. But they still do not trust you. Because they do not really know you as father. The final statement you made in 1 John is, Fathers, you have known him from the beginning. Because fathers have known him from the beginning as a father. My prayer is, Lord, 
we will put our entire trust in you. And even at a time like this, our focus will be on you and your kingdom. We see the big picture. Our father is in control, not the virus, not the demonic realm. Our father is in control. And as his children, we are called to pray and to proclaim. We'll proclaim your word and we'll stand in the gap and pray for the world. Have mercy. Have mercy. Have mercy. Have mercy. For those who are sick, those who are in the hospital, those who are working on for a vaccine or a cure, the governments who are struggling, we pray, Lord. We pray. We are the only ones who can stand in the gap. Because that's the role given to the priests. So we stand there and we bring all these people before thee. Extend your hand of mercy, Lord. Mercy, 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 Lord. Mercy. Mercy. And to the church, we proclaim, do not fear. Do not fear. As Moses stood there and told the people, do not fear. Do not be afraid. Be still. And he told them, move on. Be still and move on and do not fear. We speak the same thing to the church. Do not fear this virus, but be still before God and move on. Keep doing what God has called you to do. Don't get distracted. Do not get distracted. Move on. Keep moving. Keep moving. And the waters parted before them. And this too will pass before us and we will be on the other side before we know. Keep moving. Do not fear. Take authority in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I command every spirit that causes his children to think like orphans to leave in Jesus' name. I command that orphan spirit to leave in Jesus' name. I pray your children will have a true experience where they will know you as their father. Not just as their savior, not as their deliverer, but as their father. And they had such terrible images of earthly fathers, many of them, Lord. But that's not your image. You are the true father, the holy father, the loving father, the kind father. And I pray they will have a real true image of the father in their hearts, O Lord. Deliver your people, Lord, out of the pit of fear. Be anxious for nothing is your word, Lord. Let anxiety not come. Let us know we are absolutely secure in your hands. Even death cannot overcome us anymore. Help us to see life in the light of the big picture. That in the background, you are always there. You are always there. Open the eyes of faith for people to see you're always there. As in Rephidim, Lord, when the children of Israel cried out for water and they were so agitated and even Moses was buckling under pressure, you told Moses, go to the rock, take that staff. And you told Moses, I will stand before you. Strike the rock. Nobody saw you. But Moses knew you were standing there right before him. And when he struck the rock, he was striking Christ. 
It was the hand of law that was striking Christ. But you were there standing before and striking your own son so that we would thirst no more. That we would hunger no more. You were the one who was standing there before. I pray the eyes of your people would be opened that they will always see the Father was always there. In that 40 year journey, you were always there. If you were so faithful to a rebellious nation, how much more will you to be with us who you call us your own children? Let there be no fear. Let there be no anxiety. Let there be no worry. Let faith arise and take hold of the hand of the Father and He will take us through. Thank you, Father. Thank you. Thank you. I bless your people in your name and we lift up our hands and we bless your holy name, Lord. And we proclaim as children that our Father, thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever, Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Father. For in Jesus' name we pray. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, rest and abide with each one of us. Amen. Amen.